Um, but I would say that second scenario is, is a lot more likely because, um, you know, if you're going to scale, it's uh, ultimately this is this is all about timing, right? I can build a hundred million dollar company if you give me a hundred years. Anybody can, right? But it's all about doing it in an efficient amount of time. And so I'd say that that's, that's definitely on the table uh, for, for building this business. Welcome to Increase the Dosage. This is the show that strips away the facade of fake entrepreneurship. It removes the glamour, comes from the trenches, and provides the naked conversations, war stories, lessons learned, and the tools and tricks used by the successful entrepreneurs who overcame their challenges to achieve new growth so that you can too. Now, for your weekly shot of entrepreneurial adrenaline, here is your host, serial entrepreneur and venture catalyst, Chris J. Snook. Welcome back, everybody. Chris J. Snook here for another episode of Increase the Dosage. Today, I'm joined by Trevor Martin, the owner of GetNoms.com. I'm going to talk about cookies and uh, gluten and corporate gifts and the entrepreneurial path. Welcome, Trevor, from Durango today. You're in Durango, Colorado. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And uh, I got your name and everything right. I know we're new friends through LinkedIn. Yep. Excellent. So thanks for coming on. Um, turns out we actually are operating from the same ecosystem in the greater Phoenix area, and you happen to just be escaping some of the heat in, in one of my favorite Colorado towns, uh, seven hours from here. So thanks for making time for us. We're going to dive right in. So you run a company. Tell us about the company that you run today, and then we'll talk a little bit about your background. Sure. So Nam's Bake Shop is a corporate gifting company. So we help... Um, we help businesses uh, send gifts, uh, whether it's client appreciation, uh, employee appreciation, um, any number of reasons a, a business would send a gift to another business or a client. Uh, we help them do that. And so talk about, we'll get into noms a little bit and, and how that came about, but go backwards a little bit. We do this kind of with every guest just for context. Uh, how long have you been an entrepreneur or whatever you would call your, you know, a business builder of sorts or how, and, and where did that start for you? What was the catalyst or the moment in time where you kind of thought maybe you weren't going to go down a path of getting a job or doing that deal? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm one of those people where it's been from day one, you know, from the age of five or six, it's not that I've always been materialistic, but I've always liked nice things. My parents, um, were, gave me pretty good work ethic in that they said, well, if you want these things, we're not buying them for you. You know, we'll provide you with food and shelter and uh, clothing. And if you want the extra stuff, you get it. So early on, whether it was, you know, video game systems or clothes or whatever, um, I was always uh, hustling, you know, going around to the neighbors asking what I could do for extra money. And so it's, I'm one of those people where I can, I can say it's, it's, it's really been with me from day one. So do you organize, do you orient around yourself? Like, are you a, are you a product first entrepreneur? Are you more of like a straight up, you find a problem and you'll sell it um, and you'll go figure out which product's going to fill that gap, but you're agnostic. Like, do you, are you a sales guy where you kind of start with the customer in mind and you fill a need and you just go figure out how to make the product good? Or did you start with like a business each one of these businesses because you were really into that thing. 
Yeah, you know what? I've actually done both. So with NOMS, um, starting from right now, that was more of we had a really great product. Um, we think that there's a market for this. Let's move forward. But um, gotcha. going back to a couple of the previous businesses I've had, we've we've seen we've seen a need. We've seen a, a call for this in the marketplace. And then I've developed the product and service. Um, so, you know, I think I've had success doing it both ways now. And so you keep saying we. So who who else is in this venture with you or who has been in ventures? Yeah, absolutely. Really everything I've done myself, and I've, I've probably had six or seven um, businesses where I've, I've put some money into it. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, most of them, most of them have either netted out um, neutral, made a little bit of money or lost a, bit, a little bit of money. Uh, Noms and the real estate company uh, that I had did okay. And uh, so with, with Noms Bake Shop, it is, it's a family affair. So <laughs> I work with my wife, um, my two sisters, my father, and then we've got about 10 employees. Um, so it's uh, uh, anybody out there that, that, that does family businesses, man, that's, that's a whole other dynamic. So you, you got the whole fan family in the deal, as, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So counting the family, what is there, about 16 folks in the deal? Yeah, as far as uh, W-2 employees, and then we probably have, yeah, we, we, we work with maybe five or 10 other contractors at, at, at different points. Um, and then we, uh, because it's such a seasonal business, we tend to hire, um, I think last year we had about five seasonal employees, and we'll probably have about 10 seasonal employees this year. Well, and, you know, I didn't know exactly all these details, but I know from our quick inter- interchange when we were talking about booking this, that, you know, you kind of fit the sweet spot because you touched on a couple of things. One was, you are in that you just hit, I think you just eclipsed a million dollars in revenue this year. And, and uh, you can, you know, clarify that for us, which is great. So your, you know, your business is obviously working um, and you also had uh, a family business element to it, which I thought was interesting because, you know, we've had all kinds of different entrepreneurs on the show so far in the first several episodes and, and we'll continue to kind of diversify that out of the community. Um, but, but this was a, an area we hadn't yet touched um, family business, wife, multi-generation, other employees, and um, kind of a, a tangible product. So using the internet and potentially location neutral because you're currently in Durango and your business is still running. However, there's a tangible aspect to it where it's it's physical products. They ship somewhere, they get returned, they get consumed. And, and so I thought it was an interesting uh, you know problem set to discuss how you solve some of these and, and also um, some of the things you're facing. So how many years have you been in this business and why did you start, why did you start this business? You said there was something unique about the product, but what was the catalyst to get this involved and, and, and go? Yeah. So we started in October of uh, 2015. So this October will be the the fourth year. Um, okay. And uh, this was a perfect example of having a product first. And so, it, so to, to kind of take a few steps back, my dad was a computer programmer for American Express and retired, retired relatively early and uh, kind of got bored. And um, we, <laughs> he was he, he liked to bake a lot and we all kind of, we all kind of gave him crap about that. We thought it was, we thought it was a very interesting kind of funny hobby. And so he, he used to make gift baskets for like the neighborhood and for family friends at the end of the year, uh, just for free, just handed them out. And, uh, the first year, you know, it, would, it, it started out from them doing two or three or four gift baskets to fast forward a few years later, it's, it's an entire week in their kitchen where they've got an assembly line going, they're working 12 hours and it's him and my mom and my sisters, you know? And so, uh, how this got started was my in-laws got a hold of it. And my in-laws, uh, have a, 
have a, a, a big company here in, in Phoenix and they've got call centers. And so, uh, and, and they, they got a hold of the product and said, Mike, which is my dad, uh, you got to start selling this. You got to at least sell this in our call centers. Um, this, this, this product is phenomenal. And at that point we didn't have, um, any of the the branding or, or boxes or presentation. We literally just had the baked goods. So, um, yeah, that, that was, that was kind of the inception of, of, of how Nom's Bake Shop. So there's started. a couple of things in there I want to unpack. Cause it's a really, yeah. So there's a couple of things in there. So a couple of things I heard was, um, dad, you know, cooked on the side <laughs> and actually was really good at it. I've actually had the cookies. Thanks for sending us some before this They, um, I'm trying uh, to keep them at bay because you sent a, a bunch <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> between, between our eight year old getting a sugar high and, and me not trying to get fat. Um, they might last us a while, but, but they, they were beautifully boxed and, uh, and they tasted yummy. Um, and they were different too. They were creative. Like they, they weren't just obvious flavors, which I thought was cool. Thank you. So you had a good product. You knew it tasted good. You had, you said something about your in-laws came. And so your wife's family is entrepreneurial as well. So back, just so we have context, like they're entrepreneurial. Was she an entrepreneur? Was she doing other things? And then this was the first time you guys, other than maybe the real estate, cause you said we was, maybe in the real estate too, but have you guys built more businesses together or was she like building stuff in parallel to you building stuff? And then this one is the first one you're doing together just so we have the context. Yeah, this is a real, real interesting story and I'll give you the cliff notes version of it. But basically, so my wife and I give you a little context of how we met. We actually went to elementary school together, knew of each other, um, lost uh, contact over uh, middle school, high school, uh, reconnected um, on Facebook when we were maybe 20, 21, um, when I was 25, so this was about uh, six, six, seven years ago, we, we both we both started, we, we were both in Rome at the same time, and, and we realized that we had the same itinerary. So after seeing her in the same city that I was, uh, I finally reached out to her over Facebook and said, hey, I know I haven't seen you since elementary school. You want to grab a drink? And <laughs> so it, very, the, the very short version of the story, that's kind of how we reconnected. We met. And at the time, I was actually um, I was doing uh, medical marijuana, um, which is a, a whole other box to unpack because uh, that was a difficult business for me because I didn't smoke at the time. And so trying to figure out if you have a good product and you can't try it, you had to rely <laughs> on other people. Very strange. But that was uh, back when Phoenix didn't have any dispensaries open. And um, so me and her come back to the States, decide that, hey, this is great. And I've got this whole operation set up here. And um, the laws are quickly changing in Phoenix. And to where it's the dispensaries are opening, you, you can no longer be doing this legally. And so at that point, right. there was kind of this natural uh, break where um, I'm like, OK, well, I don't want to be in jail. I don't want to do anything legal. So I stopped that business. And um, and at the same time, that was right when I was introduced to her parents. My parents made her a gift basket. And so it was kind of this natural break. Um, where they said, "Hey, this you got to you got to start selling this." Uh, my wife is not an entrepreneur. My my wife is, uh, in fact, uh, the entire first year of the company, she didn't work with us. Uh, she, at that point, she really um, found comfort, like most people, in a steady paycheck. Um, she didn't she didn't really have that entrepreneurial gene that both her parents do. And the first few months were rough. There was a lot of tears, a lot of cry, a lot of oh my god, you know, I just gave up our paycheck, you know, and then at that point I wasn't bringing in any money because I had shut down everything and I was just starting to 
to start this. And so that was that was the inception of of, of working with the the wife. Uh, so, but uh, but she's she's amazing. I'm curious as to why um, you guys made the leap. In other words, like she she was kind of clipping along, had a, had a steady income. You obviously have always been entrepreneurial. You had a business, like you said, that you kind of had to for. Um, legislative reasons and just mm-hmm. personal reasons shut down, even though, you know, that, that may be something that in years to come, you spin back up. Cause it seems like you're a serial entrepreneur, like the rest of us, where yes, you will, you'll just keep building stuff. But when at the inception of noms, it was, it was timing. It was good opportunity. It was a good product. And we'll talk about how you found the business model in a second. But before we talk about how you found the business model, did you want your wife involved? Did she want to be involved because her parents were like excited about it? And was that the shift in her comfort, even though it was obviously a stretch? Like what was the, why did she leave the steady income? I guess, why did she leave the steady income when you were starting this knowing that, you know, she wasn't going to miss out on it maybe down the road. I'm just curious why, what, what was the, the reason for that? And that's a great question. It really was, it, it was to the point where I was so overloaded with work a year in, in building uh, the businesses. And I, and her mom is the CMO. She has marketing. And, and so Chelsea naturally is, is very good at marketing. And so if I'm being completely frank and, and blunt, I knew that I, I could get somebody uh, with, you know, my wife's talent and only pay her virtually nothing if 500 a thousand dollars a month and so at that point it was um you know it was kind of a selfish decision for the business and um you know it it took a little bit a bit of convincing on her end but the fact is she she trusts me and ultimately um you know we had this conversation last week neither of us could ever go back to doing working in an office or doing what she was doing directly before this which was working for her parents i mean it's there's there's no way yeah. So, okay. Got it. So she was working, she was working at her parents' Correct. company, kind of getting the steady check. And so this was, this was a, this was an opportunity to grow on a lot of levels, both as a couple and, and for her individually. Absolutely. Um, and you saw the talent in her. And so, you know, you did it for the business, but you, I'm, I'm assuming that you also probably wanted her to kind of break out on her own and have her own kind of success for her own self. I mean, I would imagine that. Absolutely. Yeah. As far as the personal growth goes, yeah, it's, I'm one of those strange people where you, you, uh, the guys I talk to that are married are either in two camps. They're either like, Hey, I need to go to my job. I need, the, I need the eight hours or 10 hours away from my wife, or I'm in the other camp where Chelsea and I are together 24 hours a day. And, and that's how we operate. We love it. We, we, we love um, working right next to each other. And I love it too. And, and, and I hate it and my wife hates it too. And so, you know, um, you know what I mean when we say that it, it's, sure. it's, I can't imagine it any other way either. And we've built right. portfolio of stuff, um, but it's not easy. And so I'm curious, you know, share, because I know a lot of people that might be in somewhere on this curve of they're in business with family, whether it's a spouse or whether it's family, right. You know, multi-generation mom, dad, what have you kids. Um, there's a do- totally different dynamic there because of this 24-7, 365 nature to it, which is not hyping, working all day and never stubbing down. It's the reality that when you are building a business with people that you are in outside personal relationship with, family, there is a there is a really different dynamic that happens because even when it's going well, people are operating on different clocks. We all need different things. And I'm not sure what some of the struggles are early on or what they are now, but I'd love you to t- talk about some of the ones you faced and, and maybe how you guys navigate through them. Because I've noticed, you know, a lot of times in 
in our world or in other couples that I meet, it's like, especially when, when people are excited, sometimes I need a mental break. I need to center myself and I need to kind of like get myself right on whatever it is. I got to go like, look at the macro market or I got to go do stuff. She hates like watch CNBC or whatever, because I got to set my brain into a direction so I can be effective. And that's when she wants to tell me about the new marketing plan, right. Or the new photo shoot that we're doing with all the product and the, 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 the. and, and it's not that I'm not interested. It's that you just never, and then I want to barf all over her about the, you know, whatever we're going to go do in Dubai and right. And then, and this new acquisition and da, da, da. And she's like, Holy crap. Like I, you know, like I, I need to just chill for a minute and play with our son. So does that happen? And how do you handle it? Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail right on the head, at least for most people, is that a lot of it is syncing up. So anybody that has started a business knows that um, your brain doesn't shut off with ideas and building systems and business development after 5 p.m., right? And so when you're working with somebody that you love or family or somebody that you actually live with, you're exactly right. It's it's all about, uh, you know, so, sometimes you, you need a mental break and the other person is still on. And so there was a little bit of a dance in the beginning as far as finding that that sync up, you know, because I was used to working all day, every day. And the things that I worked on, the work was my life and I loved it. And um, she what she was coming from a nine to five job. And so at that point you had drinks and you had social life. And the only time you thought about work was when you came back in at, you know, after Friday at 5 PM, you know, the only next time you thought about it was on Monday. And so there was definitely a, a, a shift uh, from going to where you, you, you were thinking about it all the time. So yeah, it, I would say it probably took two or three months. When you were all, all day, every day, because you were building other companies. Yeah. You guys were married and she was working nine to five. So when she shut off, how did she, or was like, did she mind the fact that you were still working either in the office or at home or on the laptop? Like, did it not bother her because she just knew that was you and like she was going to go have her happy hour or play, you know, do whatever she was going to go do and, and check out. And then you guys linked up some other way on, on the weekend or, or on some other time of day, like, in other words, were you married when she was working there? Right. So, um, yeah, to, to, just to clarify. So right when we met was the, the inception of Nam's Bake Shop happened right oh. after that. So oh, she now gosh. there was about a year period where she saw me working nonstop with this and she was still working for her parents. But yes, uh, and that was I think that was kind of a good uh, segue into, you know, me and watching me work on businesses, you know, she, she got to see for a year firsthand, me basically working all day, every day, um, you know, nights, weekends. And so when she came on, she almost knew that, Hey, this is, this is how you operate. And so, um, yeah, it worked out. Yeah. And, um, okay. And so you guys have been married for about as long as the company's been around basically four or five years, five, six years been together. Yeah. So we, we've been, to, we've been together. I think we, we got married a couple of years ago, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's, yeah, we, we've been together. And so you started, you started building the business and then you got married. Correct. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Cool. That's good context. So, um, all right. So tell us about the first, the first year you were building it with, you know, your dad and her distribution through her parents. The second year she joins the team as marketing CMO. Um, you guys, you know, scale. Tell us about like first year revenues, profits, losses, growing pain, second year. When did the thing become sustainable enough where you guys were able to make uh, at least make ends meet for, for all members of the family and for your team. And it doesn't matter to me, the number, just curious, like, was it in the first 18 months? Was it 36 months? 
when did you break even? And, and- I'll let you know when it happens. So where we're so I'm I'm one of those those people where I'm constantly building, and so um, we uh, this year was going to be the first year where we were hoping to uh, turn a turn a profit, and I don't even know because we built so much this year. I don't even know if that's the case. But to to go back, um, first year first year basically looked like uh, John and Marcia, my in laws, uh, convinced us to start. Um, so we get started. We sell a little bit through there. I mean, it's maybe maybe five thousand dollars worth, not, not you know, to the point where it's not even a hobby. And so what we quickly realize is, okay, while we figure out if this is a thing, um, let's start doing farmers markets. Let's start. Let's let's get a website up. Let's start. And so you know, the website sales for the most part were dismal. We were making all of our money at farmers markets, uh, which were. Gotcha. Uh, very, very, very intensive, you know, uh, six, seven, eight hour days, uh, um, you know, four or five days a week. Really what the, what, what I used the first year, uh, for was looking, looking for bottlenecks, right? Because we were doing all this baking out of my parents' kitchen, which my mom was not happy about, obviously, um, because it turned into, uh, basically us utilizing her, her kitchen all day, every day, um, once we started getting going. And so, um, yeah, the first year was really used for another, another another pitch point of family stress, right? Like now I can't have my kitchen back. <laughs> right. I didn't know what I signed up for, right? I thought you guys were just going to use it for a little bit. It, and that's exactly right. And and so we actually we had hired two employees before we even got out of there. So she really wasn't psyched about having employees come come in her house and you know working you know uh, you know a, an eight to four shift or whatever uh, Monday to Friday. But so by the by the time we got out of there, we were really ready. So yeah, that's that's really what I used the first year for was looking at, okay, where are the most labor intensive items? What can we automate? What do we need machinery for? And that's, and so um, in the middle of the first year, I started envisioning, okay, we need to either rent or build a food production facility, uh, which we can kind of get to later in the mistakes I made. That yeah. was probably a mistake, <laughs> but you know, uh, I, thinking, so I thinking started- you needed to build it, thinking you needed to build the, the manufacturing facility was a mistake absolutely absolutely but Um, but the logic around it was the logic around it was right now we have a a facility it's homegrown meaning it's my mom's yeah um she's getting irritated and rightfully so because she doesn't have a house right and and um and so this temporary situation works from a cost standpoint yep but the other options i'm sure you looked at were can we outsource this Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, that's, and maybe maybe you couldn't find an outsourcer or anyone you trusted, and and so let's dig on that a little bit because I I I, do, I don't want to diverge and come back. We might forget. So mm-hmm. like, just talk to us about the decision tree of mom's getting irritated. We can't stay here. We we, we got to preserve and, and honor that, and also we need to run a business, and we're not making any money, and we got to keep cost efficient. Yeah. So what were the choices you had? Exactly. So the the choices that we had, we really, we thought we only had one choice. We thought we needed to either rent or buy a food production facility. Where the oversight was, was that we really could have looked at uh, going to a company to have them manufacture this for us. Now, um, my dad isn't very much of an entrepreneur and he was adamantly against this. Um, Um, so that was, I, if I could go back and do it over, I probably would have looked at that option a little bit harder, uh, simply because, you know, we, we could have, we could have gone and gone to any, any of these uh, companies and they've got great quality control. They've got traceability. They have all of these things in place that take 
hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, as we found out, to get going on our own. And the fact is, we're a you know what we really have two companies here. We have a cookie, we have a a food manufacturing company and we have an online gift sales company. Um, and, and I didn't realize that at the beginning, that these were two entirely separate entities. And furthermore, we were over the past three years, we've probably paid more per unit by building this ourselves simply because of us not knowing what we were doing and working out all the bugs. Um, so our cost per unit sometimes have, you know, has gone up to, you know, over a dollar when we have really bad weeks uh, per cookie, which you can't, you can't make money on, on that. You know, if, if, if you mess up a batch of 500 cookies or, or, you know, or, or the manufacturing, if you're down a day or two because two people don't show up for work. And so our actual cost per unit is probably a lot higher by, by doing this ourselves than if we would have just gone to somebody else and, and said, hey, here's the, here's the recipe, uh, here's the process, um, and you guys take care of all the quality control and send it to us when you're done. So that was, that was a huge oversight on my part. The, well, let's, let's, uh, that's, this is great stuff, by the way. So, the, so your dad... The the person with the recipe. I, I want to make sure I didn't mishear this. He he was an entrepreneur, or he wasn't an entrepreneur, so he didn't like the idea. Was he not. Could, so it was, was a not. That, that's yeah. what, so. In other words, he probably feared quality control, or he feared maybe even theft of the recipe because yep, not coming from an entrepreneurial background, lean, all that stuff. Like you know, maybe. So did you did you ask the father-in-law for his opinion too? Did it not matter? <laughs> so the the, the father-in-law, he's he's still looking at what we're doing and he's saying you I don't know, he, he calls it the little cookie company because he's like you guys should be franchising this, you guys should be doing this. He's got, you know, he th- this would have been a 100 million dollar company, you know, in his hands, in his eyes at least. Uh, he would have done things a lot differently. Uh, but then again, we all build businesses differently, right? Well, and for different reasons, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's a yeah. But that's okay. So you you had these polar opposites, and so it was like this little thing he wasn't so worried about, or maybe if you asked him, he would have told you. But it didn't fit your so your stream of consciousness at the time was all right. This makes sense. We got to build it. What you learned in the process, and we talk about some of the mistakes you made um, specifically, maybe that you could have just flat out avoided. But I would imagine what you learned in the process is that long term, meaning if you find a, a, a growth path that's not farmers markets, if you find a market that you can fill, which is I'm assuming why and when you got into corporate gifting that really scales, then at some point, all of this investment becomes the best decision. But until you hit a certain level of scale, and you can maybe tell us what you think that is now in volume, um, it's just paying more than you would have to outsource it and have no risk. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, yeah, for our for that for that level, um, that's typically um, I, I'm assuming uh, that's going to be right around um, hundred thousand a month. Um, we're still not at that level yet. Going a little bit deeper into that, we um, we've got two different facilities now. So we've actually got the bakery that does all the food processing um, and some of the storage of the finished cookies. And then now we have a separate fulfillment center. How do you deal with, how do you deal with like, cause I, I, I've had your cookies and I know the ones that you shipped me tasted good and they were fresh. Right. And so another risk is like, you've got the, I love how you said we actually have two companies cause you do. Right. And most, and most people don't realize that they have two companies when they start to build something like this, because you have the OEM side that makes it the bakery and there's costs associated with that. And yes, you can leverage certain team members across both, 
But then you've got a marketing arm, which all marketing arm does is say, if you're going to give somebody a gift, give them something that doesn't suck. Give them something that's consumable. Give them something that a pretty box with your logo on it and give them the best damn cookies they can eat in your case. You're, you're basically gifting. You're just marketing a gifting company. You're not really a cookie company on the marketing side. You're a marketing company that allows other companies to impress people they want to keep as customers or get as customers. I wish you were there uh, at the inception because you would have saved me a lot of time had you had you had you told us that it took us a long time to figure that out. <laughs> so how did you fi- how did you figure that out? Uh, a lot of trial and error, a lot of money, a lot of listening to customers. So another one of the big mistakes. Wait, sorry, hold that thought. I just thought of a, that was a bad question, and I want to I want to let you have that thread. But here's the better question I should have asked you. Sure. Not when did you figure out or how. What the question I wanted to ask is. Do you think you would have figured it out had you not had the financial pressure and pain from making the wrong decision to vertically build out all this infrastructure? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. I'd like to have think that I'd, I'd figure it out. We, we've we, <laughs> it's tough. You know, you, you'd like to think that you're smart enough to to figure it out, and I'd like to think that you know, going into another business, that I'd figure this out sooner, but. Um, you know, the, the real answer to that is I'd like to think so. <laughs> but the other answer is, is if someone's looking for a hack here and they've got, yeah. and I'm not saying cookies, they've got something that's a, a, a make or play. They've got something that is just good. It's a good product. Whatever the product is, could be food, could be anything needs to be made is unique because of some proprietary methodology, recipe, yak, yak, yak. They think it's good. People tell them it's good and they want to turn it into a business right? What they should learn from you is that what you would have done different is first look for the scale. So, well, maybe first, what kind of business do I actually want? Now, you've got an interesting dynamic because we haven't asked you this question yet as far as what is this business designed to you, but you did say earlier about material things um, and having nice things was not the purpose, but it was kind of a, an, a magnet to like, hey, those those things are like carrots that I'm willing to go figure out ethical ways to go chase, right? And it was kind when of something I was younger, that you sure. Yeah. And now it probably means less than it did because you've probably gotten a bunch of that stuff and realized you can buy it if you really want it. And it doesn't, it's not as fun as the game, right? You're exactly but, right. Uh, yeah. So so once you figure out it's the game, if you were if you were older or starting out and you were saying, hey, you got a product and you want to make it, you want to sell it online, don't don't waste time trying to build out infrastructure for a business that might be small. Define how big your business needs to be to actually make it fulfilling for you, meaning can you earn your current living a little bit better than your living, play with your friends, travel with your family, work with your family? What are the important things that you care about, right, and that you want to have this business do that a job doesn't give you the same you know, control around? Once they've defined that, if part of what they have is they have this internal pull and then this you know, father-in-law mechanism that can show them, hey, scale is there, right? Like you had internal pull that said scale is there. You wouldn't have been in medical marijuana if you didn't think that. So you're kind of already looking for scale. Yes. But then you got drug into this cool little mom and pop farmer's market business and your brain is going, this is a really great product, but I can't stay here. I've got to find scale. So you were always looking for scale, even if it wasn't going to be cookies, 
Scale and exit. Yeah, I go into everything looking at, okay, uh, is there a market? What's what's the largest? What's best case scenario as far as the largest size of the market? And what's the exit plan? Is this something that I want to do for 30 years, uh, possibly and leave a legacy? Is this something where I want to make a quick quick buck? Is this does this have a social impact where I definitely want my name tied to it? And so I, I try to go into anything that I do uh, answering those questions beforehand. Yeah. So, so an analogy that I would, you know, pose out there, because I think a question that you found your way to and that you were looking for anyway, which was, where's my market? Where's my actual growth? Mm-hmm. And you had some people influencing you, like your father on the side, you should be franchising this once you prove it, once you the, the $100 million company by now. You had people kind of throwing breadcrumbs out there of, of opening up your awareness. You obviously have done a lot of work on yourself. You probably had a lot of those ideas yourself, just trying to figure out how to get it there. But for those who didn't, it's kind of like whatever the product is, um, Lionel Richie years ago, the great, you know, one of my favorite old school 80s singers and, you know, whatever he said on a stage that I was uh, at an event with an Oracle. He said, um, I've been on the road since 1972. He said every year I've been on the road, right? Like since 1972. And then they were talking about, well, music and, you know, how's your career changed? And he said, well, I, why did you get into tech? Why did you get into all this other stuff? And he said, well, I've been on the road. And so what I used to do is I, I used to do music is where I made the money. Like I used to sell music. And when I sold that music, people went through their life with my music as their soundtrack, right? Some people yeah. got married to it. People fell in love, maybe had their first kiss to it, maybe whatever it was, right? Like Lionel Richie's music, love me, right? So he's like, so I was part of their life. And what I sold them was I sold them CDs, tapes, concerts, right? Like that when music had a business model. Right. As the as the industry of music shifted, it's it's an example for all product companies, which is, okay, so there's this consumable aspect of this product or this proprietary thing that I build, whether it's music, whether it's cookies, whether it's whatever. But the question to be asking is, how can I use the cookie to sell other things? Or in other words, like what he said was when the business when the business changed in music there, you could no longer make money off the music but people used your music to make money off of their stuff. And so he was like, instead of me just getting royalties for big brands, licensing my song to to connect an emotion and move people to buy their widget or product, I started looking for ways where I could continue to stay in their life. And that's when Lionel Home and like all these product derivatives came out because he was like, the music is what got them into, I got into their their mind and I got into their life and I became part of their, their history with my songs, but then, then I was no longer making money with them and I was no longer in their life anymore. Right. And so what he realized was the music was the thing that he could use as the foothold to stay in their life and then thus um, sell them product. And I think what you did with get noms is the website is you realized, Hey, these cookies are great. And when people eat them, they remember them. But like, if they remember them, how am I going to make money? Cause they're not going to come back to that farmer's market enough. And if what they do is they love them, they know it's a safe gift that'll have a good impact for people that like cookies. (laughs) And so how many places could I figure out a way to give away cookies and make money off of it? Is that how you arrive there? Yeah. You know what? We've done some serious soul searching over the past year as far as figuring out who our ideal clients are. And um, you you, kind of touched on one of the really interesting, um, I guess, problems with the company and the industry that we're in. Um, so, you know, uh, holiday season is big for us. We do about 60% of our revenue um, in November and December. 
that's been a huge battle is trying to figure out, okay, how do we bring uh, recurring revenue throughout the, the rest of the year, right? So when you launched this and you realized there's a market for this, but it's lumpy because holidays were cyclical and things of that nature, how did you address that challenge or how, how did you smooth out the revenue model or the business? Yeah, that's been one of the biggest issues uh, that, that we've had was that we, we get people coming to us for the holidays and say, hey, look, I've had your cookies. Um, I really want to send these out to all of my clients. And so we say, hey, it's great. And we, we get these large orders. And um, uh, the big issue that we were really finding is come six, eight, 10 months later, um, we're reaching back out to these people and saying, hey, look, um, you know, it, it sounds like you got really good feedback from your clients. But, uh, uh, you know, are you ready to place another order? And people are starting to say, you know, your product is, is great. What, what do you have different for me this year? Right. So we, we use these cookies as a foothold trying to, you know, kind of get in the door. But that's one of the, the issues that we've begun to really address is that we might need to start pivoting. And, and at least we, we, we're building this whole database of customers that are interested in corporate gifting and that love our stuff. But if they're looking to send something slightly different every year, we don't want to lose the, that potential sale. And so as a company, uh, as a gifting company, we might want to come out with different ways to present cookies, different boxes, or start offering wine or something to not lose out on these potential sales of people looking at the end of the year that, you know, on a year to year basis that want to do something different every year. When you look at, yeah, and there's a whole bunch of opportunities and also uh, potential risks in that, right? Because the, sure. the mistake is maybe, you know, maybe the brand is really about the cookies and there's going to be cycles. And if you go too broad with other offerings, you lose it. Um, at the same time, you are building a database of customers that you treat well, that love you, that are interested in giving out corporate gifts. So the question that you're currently in and that you're going to continue to ask is, if I had a database of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 customers that have shown me they give gifts to corporate clients or friends or law firm or whatever, what would I do to that um, without blowing up my core business? How would I serve those customers in a similar or different way? Absolutely. And, and maybe it's not as linear, and I don't know the answer, but those are the right questions is, how else could I serve that, that community of common interest, right? They, these right. people give gifts, and they reward people, and they like cookies. Do they like other things? What, is, what other gaps um, maybe could I go fill? Are there acquisitions here where I go turn this into a roll-up, and, and I stay in cookies with Getnoms, but I build a portfolio of assets that are gifting-related companies, and... Um, I consolidate databases and I have a bunch of different offerings under different labeled brands altogether, but they all have different cycles in the market, right? Meaning like some are exactly. holiday driven and some are some are summer driven and some are, you know, like who knows, right? So so those are cool questions as you think about growing. And you're now at a point where at least you've got, you said, you know, we I'll tell you when it happens, but you've gotten to a point where the, the revenues have scaled. You're now a seven figure a year business. And if you can think about those things and discipline the reinvestment without harming growth so that you do have cash flow, then you can buy yourself the time to maybe solve those, those market-driven questions. That's the goal. You know, one of the questions that I was curious about is the concept of franchising came up earlier. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm for or against it. I'm, I'm curious as you looked at the corporate gifting side and obviously that has worked to the degree that it's worked or you wouldn't be a seven figure a year business or an approaching a, a maybe a stable seven figure a year business. But 
when you think about like edible arrangements, which is a pretty large company and does one thing, which is give out fruit arrangements that look like flowers, right? They scaled with a model of, you know, distribution centers. And I, I believe they're a franchise. I, I can't remember if they are or not, but I know they're all over. The I place. think so. Yeah. I believe they're a franchise. And so have you considered that? If so, why do you like it? Not like it? Maybe not sure. Do you have a thought about that? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And again, um, I a lot of the decisions I make uh, with my businesses, I'm very good at separating emotion from from logic. And this is definitely not one of those <laughs> those times. I think it's a control thing. John, my my father in law, you know, had this vision for potentially selling the recipes, setting up these, um, setting up these, you know, and selling these markets, and saying, "Hey, look, if you have a bakery or you want to start a little bakery, here's the equipment that you need, here's the initial cost," and 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 setting these up and selling these. Well, I, I have a really tough time letting go. The fact is, I have a tough time with with controlling our product quality at a scale because when, when you go and you bake twelve cookies at home. It's real easy to get it right. But when you start using a bunch of different commercial equipment and you're doing things in the thousands or ten thousands at a time, the first cookies might turn out different than the last cookies because of dough drying out or, or what, any number, any myriad of problems, right? And so because we, we are, we've, we've donated and had to throw away so much product because it is not up to our standards. And I don't feel like other people are that crazy about uh, product quality. And there is a little bit of pride. There's a, there's a lot of pride in the brand. And so to know that I'm really giving that up um, to other people and, and this, this kind of mentality is definitely out there. And this is why we don't sell to uh, grocery stores anymore um, because our shelf life is about, about 10 days. And we're, we're experimenting with films and different nitrogen packaging processes to extend that. But what we found is that when we do sell to, to stores. The, if they don't sell the product, they'll leave it out there. Um, so it'll it'll stay out there. Krispy Kreme took a big hit after they had their big run back in the early double O's because uh, before they became Krispy Kreme, where they let you see the things get made, remember yes. they did the whole visual thing? Mm -hmm. They had been around since 1965 and they, they were like they were a garbage donut. And this was, you know, pre that big hype thing. And it was because they sold into big box, you know, grocery and they were an end cap item and and they're they were stale half the time so uh, so that makes sense that logically makes sense i mean regardless of whether there's a way to do it or not i like the fact that you're clear on that's where your concern lies i don't think it's emotional i think it's just a concern that's valid you um obviously because i've received a package of this and and i've you know i i'm just listening to you customer experience and quality control is important to you. And, and um, obviously I would imagine is important to your whole family and everyone involved in this, certainly your dad, he doesn't want his cookies, you know, being trolled because they're, they're too stale or crunchy because of some idiot on the front end. Very um, yep. You know, so then the question becomes, and, and I don't know the answer to this, but you know, some, then the question becomes, is there a franchisable or, or a model to the marketing company? Meaning you vertically integrate manufacturing in house and that becomes the core business. And then you license or franchise out the marketing business to different regions so that people that have a lot of corporate clients can monetize their database and bring you customers without having to build a cookie company. Yeah, and that's and that's a great question. I would say that second scenario is a lot more likely. We haven't looked into that as as heavily as that first option. 
and, uh, and, and partially because our, our head's just been down, right? We've been focused. Yep. Um, but I would say that second scenario is, is a lot more likely because, um, you know, if you're going to scale, it's uh, ultimately, this is, this is all about timing, right? I can build a $100 million company if you give me 100 years. Anybody can, right? But it's all about doing it in an efficient amount of time. And so I'd say that that's, that's definitely on the table uh, for, for building this business. Well, I mean, this has been this has been a lot of good gold in here. I think any any of the um, people listening to this that are you know running in a similar direction, where maybe they started a product business online, whether it was T-shirts, whether it was jewelry, whether it was cookies, whatever it was, and they found some traction either through Instagram or or just plain old ad spend and you know uh, content marketing and all the things that you do to drive traffic to a site. There becomes a point at which if you've done it with print on demand or kind of outsource vendors, you're looking at margin and you go, well, I need to, I need to recapture some of my margin. I need to recapture quality control because now I've tested and I've proven there's a market for this. And it seems to be a market that is growing enough for me to make that investment. But then that chasm is pretty big, right? Because yep. you're going to essentially, no matter how you look at it, run into issues and internalizing some of this stuff is going to leave you with waste, whether you're throwing out cookies or whether you've got a bunch of SKUs in the wrong size and now they're out of fashion, right? Like there's always that quandary of, of when to do that. And yet, am I running two companies? I think that's another takeaway today. And if I am, do I have the people on the bus with me um, in the right seats? And do I have do I have vacancies that I need to fill to help run one of these two things, whether it's the logistics side or whether it's the front end marketing side, more effectively? And what do I outsource, right? To whom? Whether it's outsourcing the marketing side to an agency partner and just focus on OEM or, or the opposite, right? Absolutely. So I think these are questions that people should be asking if they're building stuff in a vertical that is similar to what you've done. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, and, and, and I think everyone is you know, well aware of the having people in the right seats analogy. Um, that's been so huge for us. And it, it really adds in, in a separate layer when you're with family, because there's people that you can't terminate, right? <laughs> right? There's people that you can't get rid of. And so we've had that issue with, um, with, with, with a couple of different family members where it's like, Hey, you're, you're involved. You've been involved since the inception of this. Um, uh, let's, let's do our best to find the right place for you because we can't fire you. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a whole added layer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that could be another interview for another time. Right. Um, what, what is it that you would benefit most from if you had a, you know, you, you've given a lot of gold to anyone listening to this and I know the community at startup drugs and also anyone listening to the increase of dosage podcast has definitely gotten some value out of this. And so what can be valuable to uh, you and your organization? And I mean, obviously everyone go to getnoms.com, give somebody a box of cookies. Like I, I implore everybody to do that. They're good. Um, find a reason, do it, you know, hook these guys up. Outside of that, what's more strategic for you than than just buying boxes of cookies? Do you have any asks in general for me, for the community? What what could we have our eyes on that would be potentially helpful for you? Sure. And I, I, I really appreciate the plug. Yeah. What I actually find uh, the most value is, is connecting with other entrepreneurs, uh, local and uh, nationally. So I'm involved in, in other um, organizations like SeedSpot where I get to mentor and, you know, I've got coaches and mentors. So what would be really valuable for me is if any of this stuff hit home where you're working on this or you're in a similar industry, 
is, uh, is, is reach out, say hi. I love solving problems. I love, I love helping other people solve their problems. I love having a, a really good group of people around me helping me solve my problems. And so, you know, if, if any of this resonated with you, just reaching out to me, that would be a huge, uh, a huge ask for me. Well, we certainly um, are holding a space for exactly that with this community, and we're happy to have you in it. And, and the fact that when I ask you to give, you know, give a plug for what you want, you you ask to give it away to other people, I think shows you exactly the kind of entrepreneurs that 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 we want to be around. And, and I acknowledge you for that. So I would tell everybody to take you up on that offer. They can connect you on LinkedIn. They can go to getnoms.com. We'll put links in the show notes here below where you can follow up with Trevor. And um, and Trevor, thanks, man. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I know everybody's enjoyed listening. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Increase the Dosage. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned, as well as a few quotes for sharing on social media, head on over to increasethedosage.show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Startup Drugs. That's drugs with a Z. Have an amazing week.